0: Hello. Hello. Hi, Shelley. So Hello. today, I have my very first guest on Little Joy my wonderful friend Shelley. How would you like to be introduced, Shelley? Thank you. Um, it's, <laughs> it's great to be here. I'm really excited to be here and to be a part of this podcast. Um, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Thank um, you. Yeah, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Thanks and, so much. Um, I suppose, yeah, if you could just refer to me as my first name, Shelley? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that'd be great, thank you. C- shall I say a bit about how we know each other? Yes, yeah, we've known each other for a very long time, I was thinking the yeah. other day. <laughs> how yeah. long is it? I think I met you in about 2005 or 2006. Gosh, is it really that long? Wow. Yes. (laughs) Yes, yeah, I I was thinking, gosh, how long is it? Yeah, Yeah. but very, very good friends, and we have supported each other on journeys as much as we could. And yeah, Shirley, can I say why you're, what you're here to talk about? Or would you like to say what you're here to talk about today? I'm happy for you to explain if you'd like to. Yeah, um, so Shelley um, is on a recovery journey from um, drug use. And um, I wanted her to come on to share some of her insight and, and what she does to help herself and um yeah that's why she's here today I, I i i one of the reasons i started doing the podcast um was after listening to something on radio four after christmas about like they had a guest on from the close show i think her name was caroline and she was saying about how women in their 40s have four times as much to spend on clothes as women in their 20s and I just got really (laughs) up with the radio I just got up with the radio so no I want want to hear stories from people who are like marginalized and yeah so um well people people like me people who haven't (laughs) lived kind of this yeah. life where you have like uh, like of extra income in your 40s and stuff like that so mm. yeah it's, I want to give a voice to people like that if you want to come on the podcast you can let me know um, yeah what I was going to say um, so we have to record the podcast in sections of about 20-25 minutes so if I suddenly um, stop Um, It's because um, of the recording And then um, I I will um, contact Shelley again And um, continue the kind of interview Just wanted to warn you about that I'm just getting used to the software that I'm using Okay, so the first question I asked you to answer Was a potted history, Shelley um, um, Yes You struggled a bit with kind of doing it do you want to share what you what you managed to, to get? Uh, I I did struggle with this a little bit. Um, it felt there was. I feel like I've been through so much. Yeah. So many different things, and to put it in a, a potted yes. history, it just <laughs> I didn't know how to condense it. There's been so many um, different events that I've been through, um, different things that have happened in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I really struggled with trying to condense everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I suppose um, a lot of these issues uh, stem from early childhood, I guess. Yeah. So I had to think and about early um, events or things that happened in my early life. Yeah, um, and I think I wa- I was um, I was two years old when my brother was born. Yes, and when I I think about how young I was. I don't think I coped very well with having okay. a new brother, a new yeah. baby. Yeah. And recently I spoke to my mum and my mum actually said that she was so surprised because she's one of four girls okay. and I'm the eldest grandchild from her side of the family. Yes, and she was really surprised that she had a boy, my brother. Okay, and she kind of agreed with me that perhaps she had because you know a new baby takes up a lot of time, it does a lot of time, sleepless nights. And I think because I was two, that's very little, and I think yeah. I. I've heard that it's a very bad age to have another sibling, yes, and I think I can actually relate a bit to that, and also talking to my mum about it, I think that was the case. I did actually struggle with having a baby brother, yeah um and I know he he when he was quite little, he had an accident and had to be taken to hospital and um it wasn't particularly serious, but there was I think there was a lot of emphasis on him. I suppose is what I'm trying to get at because my okay. mum was so surprised that she had a son, she couldn't believe it because she was from a family of all girls. Do you mean favouritism? Um is do you know what I... it felt like as a young, very young child? To be honest with you, I my earliest memory The first memory that I have is being in my auntie's garden as a child with one of those huge, squeezy Heinz tomato bottles. And I had this bottle and I can remember squeezing it in her garden. And that was when, I don't know, quite a random thought. I thought you were going to say you squeezed all over your... (laughs) No, no, but that... I was at my auntie's while my mum was in hospital. And I think being so young, I didn't quite know what was going on. And then I was also taken to my nana's. So I don't remember going to the hospital to see my brother, but I can remember being left alone. Okay. Yeah. I suppose. And I, I don't have a clear recollection of there being favoritism. Okay. But I know I was left. So yeah, okay. So I was wondering if that is a, a, a kind of an abandonment thing. Um yeah. Yeah, my I mean my a lot of my my issues in life I would say come from uh I suppose lack of self-worth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and times, you know, as you know, were very, very hard then. Parents, yeah. parents didn't have, you know, they didn't have a lot of the benefits that we have today, like tax credits, working tax credits. Yeah, there, was, yeah. there was just family allowance and my parents struggled. They didn't have a lot of money. And I can remember at a young age, I joined infant school later than everybody else. And I desperately wanted to fit in. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can clearly remember trying to fit in and feeling different. I suppose in that first instance, because as I said, my parents were didn't have an awful lot of money. Um, I, I can remember wanting patent shoes from Clarks, <laughs> the ones where you had the magic key in the bottom. Gosh, they had those back then, did they? Yes, yes. I thought that was a new thing. Okay, yeah. No, and unfortunately, my parents couldn't afford yeah. those shoes. And my mum would always say, now as an adult, I can see the paint r- rubs off really quickly. They're a terrible design for kids <laughs> because the paint rubs <laughs> off. <laughs> but these are the shoes that I desperately yeah. wanted and my parents couldn't afford them. And I can remember also seeing the Fisher-Price oven advert on the television. (laughs) And I think it was £80. And my parents definitely couldn't... £80?! Yes. That's a lot of money. I know, they, they they couldn't afford it. Yeah. And I suppose those things have stuck with me. Joining infant school late, wanting to fit in. Wanting to fit in, yeah. And I have my parents also They come from backgrounds where their parents weren't particularly, they weren't. My mum's mum didn't very often say that she loved her. She's highlighted that for me. And I I suppose because my mum was the eldest and my nana worked, my mum often was the mum. So she took on the role of mum very early and looked after her three sisters. Yeah. Um and she didn't she didn't have a lot of self esteem. She as as a woman, she was we were talking about this the other day, she wanted to um become a nurse. Because okay. I suppose in the seventies or the sixties, she had the choice of being a secretary or a nurse. Yes. And her, her dad said, oh, you don't want to be a nurse, you won't be very good at that. <laughs> and because he'd said that, she went down the secretarial route, and she always had this dream, and she, I suppose, wondered yeah. what would have been if she'd have been able to do that. Yeah. And then yeah. E- equally on, on my dad's side, there was... My dad lived at home, and his parents moved to a bigger... A smaller house, sorry... And Sorry. my dad was told there's only one bedroom, so either you or your sister need to move out. Oh, wow. So Sorry. at the age of 15, my dad at was 15. kind of. Wow. Yeah, my dad left school and went to live at the YMCA. Mm. So. And like a hostel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. My dad kind of grew up with, you know, also feeling not very good um that he didn't fit in that he wasn't good enough mm. so both my parents i think have come from that kind of era negativity low self-esteem and that obviously had a, an impact on me yeah um, as a as a child my dad made me a toy theater yeah and to me it was the best present absolutely loved it and my brother and I had hours of fun out of it but I can clearly remember a common thing with my dad but he'd always say oh well it it's not that good I could have done this and I could have done that okay you know he wouldn't he wouldn't take the praise for it but to me, it was absolutely amazing. It had little electric lights. Okay. <laughs> we used to save quality street wrappers and put round the lights to get different coloured <laughs> effects. <laughs> That's great. Was so it like it, a, a finger puppet theatre? We used to, we had kind of metal poles and we kind of stick these poles in the side door of the theatre and lift up a curtain and put a stick a person on this stick and kind of... <laughs> Do little plays that oh, my father and I. Amazing, it was. How oh. old were you then, Shelley? I would imagine between about six and ten.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: I got years of use out of it. Yes, wow. So I suppose, yeah, it's it's tricky for me because I didn't I didn't have a traumatic childhood. I had. Yeah. hate saying the word normal because i don't think there is such a thing as normal but i had a normal childhood in that my parents were loving they did the best they could yeah i think as me as a person i struggled to fit into the world i'm i'm very sensitive i wear my heart on my sleeve yeah i just so desperately wanted to fit in and be friends with the right people and have all the, the right clothing and I yes. felt like I didn't. And then when I was a teenager we moved out of the uh, the town and we moved to the countryside. Yeah. And that was my first introduction of drugs. Ah, okay, so what age were you then? And um, that was in 1994, so I was 14 then. 14. And so that ties in with the wanting to fit in, well, well I'm guessing, Does, um, was it peer pressure type? Do you know, because other people were doing it? I don't, well, not with most people in the village that I lived in were smoking weed that was kind of all back in those days what people called squidgy black which was this awful yeah. black solid liquid that god knows what was in it yeah but people were smoking that and they, i don't ever remember the first time i tried it i can definitely remember smoking it and there wasn't really any peer pressure there with um uh, cannabis but that was also Although I'm probably was slightly too young, being 14, but the rave kind of scene mm-hmm. yep. was quite prominent in um in Suffolk and obviously around the country at that time. And yeah. to the point where we even had um child-friendly or teenage-friendly raves. Okay. <laughs> so I can remember going to uh a rave because i you know i wanted to be a part of all of this and Mm. used to collect all the flyers and (laughs) stick them on our walls (laughs) and that was when i remember being introduced to slightly harder drugs so moving Mm. on from wheeze to speed i just want to kind of say um so yeah i used to go around with some Boys who used to collect all these flyers, and they used to drive cars, <laughs> and they we used to come to Brighton and go around all these shops and collect these flyers. And some yes. of them were more sought after than others. There was one shaped like a marmot, Marmite pot.
1: Yes, it's really
0: sought after. And I started putting them on my walls because <laughs> I I I wasn't into drugs at all, you know, like um I was very influenced by the Grain Chill Just Say No campaign, which was a few years older than than you. Um uh, you probably yeah. missed out on that one. But um Yeah, it was it was a big thing. And then that song came out, um who's it by Ease are Good. Oh um, yeah. Who's it by the Shaman? Yeah. And like, yeah. I remember like hanging out with these boys probably about age 18 and they're like laughing at me cuz I did not know what they were talking about. <laughs> he's he's good. he's good. I thought they were saying he's good. He's good. Eminese a good. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. So I know I know I was on the fringes of this cool thing that yeah you were obviously in more Ooh. in it than I was. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, again, similar, but that I was hanging around with all the people I was hanging around with in this village after school, they went to a rival school, for starters, and they were all a year or two years above me, so they were oh, all very... older, they had that's... cars, Yes. they went yeah. to raves, yes. and I suppose that's that's kind of where I started dabbling in drugs. Yeah. And um, then as I got older, I started kind of, um, it was every every weekend, so every kind of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'd go out with um, a friend and we would um, go clubbing. We'd take ecstasy. Okay. And it, we took cocaine a few times. Yeah. And it was the norm it felt like the norm it was kind of part of that yes. culture yes most people around me were doing it yeah i mean you you just refer to the green chill um yeah. program and i i yeah i was slightly old for that but i can yeah. remember doing my english oral exam on uh leah betts Okay, so yes. the girl who took the ecstasy tablet and died, yeah, yeah, that really kind of poignant image of the 90s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. That I remember it being on a billboard in Exeter it really affects me. I was so anti drugs, you know, like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but I, yeah. um, so yeah, I kind of, you know, that was something that I'd done for a school project, but then my fa- we didn't really talk about drugs as no. a family. I don't really remember my parents kind of saying, having massive conversations with them. And I don't really remember talking at school, learning about yes. them. I'm sure I must have done, but there's nothing that I can kind of poignantly remember about it. So. It was just it was a part of kind of growing up and most people yeah. around me did it and it was it was the norm it was normalized um yeah. so, so like that so it that kind of brings us up to what like your 20s yes what, yeah what happened then so i suppose when i was 22 i had been with a. Uh, guy for a couple of years um, i met him at work we both had really good jobs and um i fell pregnant mm-hmm. um i was 22 so really looking back now it was so so young and i so wasn't ready at all but that's yeah. a whole other different yeah um scenario yeah and we um We visited Devon quite a lot from Suffolk he was a kind of a surfer we used to come down to Devon and he got a great job opportunity yeah so we were coming down all the time anyway and we thought oh let's let's just go, go let's go down there let's give it a chance yeah and it what for me it was i suppose it's a it was a turning point in my life because when we moved down here i didn't know a soul Okay, and I was so so isolated, and we lived um, just outside of Honiton in the middle of the countryside. Yes, yeah, very isolated. And um, I mean, I I tried to. I went to baby groups. Yes. Um, so I. I but I found them really kind of clicky. They, they, the women knew each other already. Yeah. Um, they tended to just spend the whole baby session gossiping about <laughs> oh, so and so down the road has done this. And I just, I just really kind of felt I don't want to sit here talking about mm. other people. This is yeah, really it's horrible. Yeah, it wasn't really for me, and so I felt, I felt really isolated and really alone and I think that had a massive impact on my mental health um year after so 2003 I actually started college and we moved into Exeter yes yes and that was again a game changer I I went back to college and I uh, studied a photography course yeah um but then I suppose over the next few years there was a few by that point, I wasn't using drugs at all. Literally, I had—I found that I was pregnant and completely stopped using drugs. Good. I—I um, I didn't have. I—I I, at that stage, I didn't present as an addict. Yes. So it was just yes. drugs before my daughter. Yes. So my early twenties was—it was a weekend thing. Yeah. Um, I, I would just use when I went out at the weekends. It wasn't. It wasn't an issue. There's a big difference, isn't it, where you identify as an adult uh, addict, and I was going to say adult. That's, that's, a really, that's a really interesting Freudian flip there. <laughs> Um, what what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna um, stop the recording and um, move on to the next section. I've just got a couple couple of minutes. I just want to say, like when you and I met, do you remember um, being out one night in Timepiece, and you yes. said to me. I just really want to get some cocaine <laughs> and I actually no, thought you were in the toilets no, taking cocaine no not at all not at all I was I, I don't know what I look like to you but I was literally like horrified like <laughs> i can remember thinking oh fantastic jen's just been into the loo she's and uh, because you were rubbing your nose or something and to me that was and um, all the lights were turning on oh brilliant jen has yeah. some cocaine <laughs> How wrong could you be? Yeah, t- yeah, totally. Can be further from the truth. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I'll stop it now and then we'll come back to you. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 Oh. Welcome back, Sally. Thank you. So, yeah, so that was your twenties, and um, yeah, what, what do you remember when you started to dabble again? We didn't do cocaine that night, by the way. Any? <laughs> the I, I I sure didn't. I don't know whether you had that night, but um, yeah, no, no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then my drug use was completely non-existent. Yeah. Um so, and I think it wasn't until 2013 that I started using drugs again. okay? Yeah. so there was a massive kind of 10 mm. eight eight ten year gap. Yes, I did I didn't use drugs, but during that time, because to me I I'm, I am an addict, mm. but I I know we talked about this before. I identify more as somebody who is codependent. Yes. So um my addiction is a symptom of my dis-ease. So I believe I have a dis-ease yes. around life. So which... I, just to explain, like to, to listeners in case they haven't come across that term before, the word disease is broken up into two parts, GIS little dash then e-a-s-e um so any disease is due to a lack of ease in one's life yes yeah and over my life it's manifested in a number of different ways with so it's usually i seek anything external outside of myself yes to fix myself or make myself feel better yes yeah, so, so recently
1: So that's external
0: external validation. (laughs) Yes. yes. So Mm -hmm. uh, recently that's manifested in drugs, but it has also manifested in relationships. (laughs) Toxic relationships. Yeah. Other people. Uh, places and things so kind of overspending or spending yes. to make myself happy living the life that I can't afford yeah yeah just just trying to use anything for external validation to make yeah. myself feel better that's I am um... you have amazing self-awareness um you know you really do and that is the key for a change to happen, you know, without awareness, uh, us therapists always say, it, without awareness, you can't change because you're not aware yes. about what needs to change and why it needs to change. And even then, making the change has is so difficult. So, yes. yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it is, it can feel overwhelming because, um, which I will talk about is the 12 uh, steps. So, yes. Once, I have so, attended 12-step um, 12 step, 12 step groups. So what I thought might be helpful for listeners is um, some people might be listening and they've kind of heard of the 12-steps and, yeah, they were aware that that's some sort of programme for addicts. But can you say, like, go quickly through what the 12-steps are? Absolutely. So I suppose most people uh, commonly know AA. So Alcoholics Anonymous, Mm -hmm. but what a lot of people don't know is that there is a huge wealth of other twelve-step fellowships. I think altogether there's over something like two hundred different fellowships. Yes. So they can range. The ones that I have attended is so NA, which is actually Narcotics Anonymous. Yes. Uh, There's Drug Addicts Anonymous, DAA. Okay, I know that one. Yeah, there's. Uh, CA cocaine yes, anonymous. Heard that one. Um, and what I've recently found in the last few years, which all kind of factors in is CODA, yeah. so that's codependence code yeah. anonymous. Yes, um, I'm looking at ACA at the moment, which is slightly different. So that's yes. adult children of alcoholics. Yeah, I've heard or, that Yeah, actually, I just wanted to add that. Um, adult children of alcoholics or dysfunctional families because my parents aren't actually alcoholics and I'm not saying my parents are dysfunctional but I have picked up the literature recently and I can relate to a lot of it yes so there's a whole there's a whole wealth of different 12 steps I think there's even ones for smoking and overeating under eating yes and it's right one for teens there's a teen Alanon, yeah, there's one for that. Yes. Because I, I know a bit about this because I was in Al-Anon which is um, a group for people who are in relationship with people who are addicted. Um, so, yes, and they still follow the twelve steps. Do you want to say something about the the twelve steps? So they change slightly from each group, don't they? But- yes a lot of them are based on kind of the traditional AA steps that were formulated you know back in the, like the 1930s. Yes. So this this they're formulated quite a long time ago and it's in kind of old American language whereas um NA for example that was a group that was founded in the 80s so it's a bit more kind of current a bit more relevant for, for me anyway yeah that's um, a big jump isn't it 50 years yes yeah and I I, see. I can relate a bit more to modern day language yes so um in what we call the 12-step fellowship so Narcotics Anonymous we have 12 steps so each of those steps uh, you will work through kind of with a sponsor Mm -hmm. yep Um, and what are they what's step one I'm just trying to see if I can, I had a feeling you might ask me this, I've, <laughs> I've reached across actually for my, the only book I can see Demand, yes. is Recovery by Russell okay. Brand. Ah yes, he's got them at the end of that book I think. Yes, so he he's uh, another kind of person who has put his own stance yes. on, okay. on the steps. Yes. Well, R- Russell's step one is: Are you a bit fucked? Oh, that's <laughs> right. Yes, that's that. uh, I've read the book. It's kind of... <laughs> Yes. So it's, it's kind of looking at uh, what what do you <laughs> what do you want to change? So is is it that your I don't know. It it could be that your relationship is um, is a bit troublesome. Yes yes your your drinking is affecting your everyday work life yes um your smoking is out of control even you know he off he talks about porn addiction and sex That's addiction right. yes um Bone addiction <laughs> yes god <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely yeah so it's yeah it's a set of steps 12 steps that you work through with a sponsor, so you you can find all of this online. It's so kind of easy yeah. to find. They one of the um, steps in there is attraction rather than promotion, so they don't openly promote themselves. That's right. Yeah. So it's done through attraction. So as in, um, you'd meet an addict and. You'd say oh wow you know you've managed to change your life around how did you do that mm-hmm. and um, hopefully they found the 12 steps so they've yeah. used the steps gone to meetings uh, where you kind of share and identify with other addicts which is actually it just makes you feel it makes you feel again no such thing as normal but it makes you feel normal identification yes. with other people because as an addict you can sometimes feel like a pretty shit person yeah one of my questions for you was have people changed <clears throat> towards you and what do you want them to know yeah so um, yeah this I haven't well I have no. I've noticed it with all people but I suppose when I first thought of this I thought professionally um, so I, I got a job in September of 2021 yes And um, it was a great job. It was working for the NHS as a peer support worker. Yes. And I really wanted this job. And I told them about my... yeah, I remember you really wanting it. And I really prayed for you to get it. And, like, um, yeah. Yes. You would have been amazing. Yes. However... So, yeah, however... um, Unfortunately, some of the carnage of my addiction... um, A couple of years ago, I was involved in a situation and I ended up with a criminal record. Yeah. And, um, my conviction is, um, worded, concern in the supply of class A drugs. Yeah. Gosh. And the wording's quite crucial. Okay. Um, to that, so that's on my DBS. So obviously going forward that can affect what jobs I apply for Um, And as part of this job for the NHS I obviously was up front There's no point in lying to somebody I don't want to deceive anybody and they'll find out anyway So I was up front with them and they said Oh no, it's fine, it's not a problem And then when I had sent my DBS back to them uh, it, it this was kind of it was going backwards and forwards for a month two months I think it might have even turned into three months and I had a telephone call and it was from the new boss of the department and she had said that we've looked at your DBS and uh, we've done a risk assessment on you okay and we have decided that due to your a criminal record and it's uh recent how recent it was so it was 2019 we've decided that we can't offer you this employment and i didn't realize that they'd already said it'll be fine and then oh yeah yeah. must have been so disappointing Yes, I've been up front with them yeah. because there's, there's no point and yeah. I suppose what, what hurt the most is I completely get where they're coming from. They're the yeah. NHS. Um, what hurt me the most was the fact that I wasn't even invited to have a conversation with anybody about it. Yeah. No, nobody had said to me, okay, so what have you done since then? so I didn't have the opportunity to say well I've actually been clean since then or I've gone to meetings or I've done this so I've done that that is so upsetting so total judgment basically and considering you were going for a job to help other people they they only want people who've had mild drug related stuff happen Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean to me <laughs> lived experience. Yes. I yes. was quite furious and I said I mean I, I don't often blow my own trumpet. As I said, I come from a family who Yes are a bit insecure. But on this occasion I said the wealth of experience that I have because yes. I've had I've had what is deemed as a career. I've I've been successful professionally. and I've also had mental health issues and addiction issues and I really felt that I had some great lived experience as well as the criminal justice system to be able to help other people and it was just I fully agreed that they couldn't employ me but it would have just been really great to have had a conversation with somebody and said can I just tell you my side yes absolutely um, well here you are Telling your side now. Yes, yeah. So important to be able to have a voice. Um, yeah. So I suppose that's kind of a clear. That is a clear example of how people have changed. I mean, obviously, it has some of the things that I've done. A lot of my family find it extremely to understand about a lot of the decisions that I've made. Yes. Um, and when you said in your second part of your question, what would I like people to yes, know? Yes, like them to know. So going back to the twelve steps, part of that, I think it's step two or step three. So, what would I like people to know? Um, I suppose. I would like more understanding of what the word powerless actually means. Wow, that is such a powerful thing to say. Wow. Yes, um, because I've had a lot of... My parents are of an older generation, you know, they're nearly 70, and Mm -hmm. recently, my most recent relapse, they've kind of, you know, my dad in despair kind of saying, why, why don't you just think? Why don't you just use the brain that's in your head? And can you, yeah, I mean, I would find that so hard, hearing that, why can't you just think? Have they, had they researched it?
1: Well, (laughs) again, to know what's
0: going on in your brain? Well, this is another thing, my daughter and I, we're discussing. I mean, you know, my, my daughter, she's 20 years old. She's absolutely amazing. She's absolutely amazing. She's, you know, I've dragged her through a lot of this trauma yes. and things have happened to her as a direct result of some of the behaviours mm. and some of the things and relationships that I've gotten, which have just been horrific. But she's so strong. And she mm-hmm. was, yeah, she was saying recently, that she'd had a conversation with my dad and kind of said, well, you know, do you, do you realize that a day in addiction is you kind of get up, you find as much money and as many means as possible to use throughout that day. Yeah. To get the drugs so that you're well. So for example, using class A drugs, such as heroin um, leads to physical, mental addiction. Yes, and you build up a tolerance to it yes and in order not to be sick each day you need a certain amount each day I mean I'm quite lucky I have in the past used methadone mm -hmm. I've been in a methadone programme which um, was really helpful and then I was able to get off that myself yes Um, more recently I've been able to kind of um, slowly slowly reduce it and and get off it but she, going back to my point she was saying to my dad you know a typical day this is what it's like and i don't think he'd realized what it was like and which which i suppose it shocks me on the one hand because there is such a wealth of information at at your fingertips in this yeah. device you hold in your hand yes yeah. yeah but then he is of that generation where he, you know, every time he uses his phone, he really struggles to kind of work out what he's doing. So for yeah. him, it's alien. But I suppose to me, if my child came to me with a problem, mm. that would probably be one of the first things I do. Jump on Google and yeah. Yeah. try and, well, what, what is this illness? What is, what is this? Because addiction, I class as a disease... Yes. And as a mental health condition, I mean, in, in our yes. meetings, if, if you have cancer, you'll go and get chemotherapy. And if, yes. if you're an addict, there, there is, as it says in the programme, there is no cure for addiction. Mm. It's much with a lot of mental health conditions. It's kind of about managing, it's about managing um, yeah. the condition going forward absolutely and i know myself the longer time i have in between using so in between relapses the more yes. time i have the better because i know from using i my brain chemistry has been altered yeah i have altered yeah. some of the pathways in my brain the kind of the dopamine yes the dopamine um, there's a i know there's a direct yes link between a lot of women become addicted to cocaine or crack um, the effects because of dopamine it <coughs> really yes. releases more dopamine oh i didn't know that
1: that's really
0: interesting yeah um women are, are often more susceptible to kind of cocaine crack addiction and it's yeah. interesting it's the same chemicals in the brain as when a woman has an orgasm and i've actually yeah had issues from past relationships we've kind of when i say the term sex addiction everybody thinks oh my god you go around having sex with lots of people (laughs) and that's that's not that's you know that's that's not the case it manifests in, in different ways but i can definitely relate doing crack and explaining it in the same way the same feeling as an orgasm yeah yeah um, I mean, that that is, that is something that, um, like, kind of floods your whole body. Yes. Um, I, w- I think there's a release of oxytocin there. Yes. So it brings, like, um, this feeling of closeness and, um, well, unity, um, connection, I suppose, that is l- lacking in your life. Yeah. Uh, with relationships. And um, well, even with yourself, your relationship with yourself is lacking. So the drug yes. kind of compensates for that. Yeah. And, 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 and so you, you have to find different ways of getting this dopamine hit. Yes. As part of your recovery. Yeah. I mean, addicts are often, you know, a lot of people end up, and I have to admit that this time I have ended up for the first time in kind of, I said earlier, I didn't start using drugs again until 2013 and the last, so it's 10 years I've used drugs on and off for, um, and it, this time I've ended up being the person that sat in my room on my own using drugs. Yeah. And that's again when the powerlessness comes in, so. Yeah, yeah. The the experience of taking the drug isn't a nice experience, yeah. but I can't. It's like I can't physically stop myself from taking yeah. it. It's necessary. necessary. Yes, and what's often talked about in the in the twelve step meetings, the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous and such fellowships, is the progression yeah. of the disease and yes. how it progresses. Yeah. And there's also a lot of talk about part of the 12 steps is to follow a daily program. So that's about, um, uh, doing step work. So the formulated steps. So looking at your past, looking at your history, um, taking ownership of, um, some of the carnage. Mm, mm, So um, yeah, um, responsibility and yeah, you know, what what um, I think what I think I would like you to do, Shelley, is yes. we've had um nearly 40 minutes. Oh like, god, <laughs> yeah, that's fine, no, but it's all really relevant stuff. We looked at your history and, and like um a little bit about the 12 steps. What I think I would like you to do is invite you back at, um in for another session where we look more at your recovery um i wanted yes. the concept of a higher power but we haven't got time to talk about that now no. Um how you self-regulate and what you want from your future um so is it can we can we end that yeah absolutely is that okay that's my biggest fear i suppose because there is so much what i what i don't yes. want to do is i don't want I want to give such an overview because I suppose the most important thing is that addiction is more accessible or acceptable to people yes. and I'm, I'm what a lot of people call a regular person. I have a job, I have kids, I have a home. I'm yes. not a, a homeless person that yes. lives on the streets but that's not to say that I couldn't be mm. but there's so much information I think it's really important the story that I have. Yes. educate other people of how easy it is to yeah. fall into this trap. Yeah, could happen to cycle. anyone. Yeah, could happen to anyone. And um, yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. want to give you the space to to do that. Uh, that you know, because it's all so relevant. I just can't squish it into four minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be <laughs> just like <laughs> you couldn't uh, squish your potted history into a pot <laughs> Um, I know I'd really like to do that yeah. if you had yeah, the time that. that would be fantastic yeah I've definitely got the time and yeah let's do that so thank you so, so much for coming on today thank you for inviting me and good luck for your future yeah. podcasts as Thanks well so and every success Sally. I will talk to you soon okay Bye. bye, bye.